variety is the the gold star when it comes to improving our overall gut health. And what we know is that if your diet is, and this is something I think we spoke about quite a bit on the the last episode. We did. um, Is if your diet is too restricted long-term, that can have some quite negative health outcomes. Welcome to Allergy Proof, the podcast dedicated to helping hardworking women with health issues get through life. Hey, I'm your host, Ashley Templer, and I have more allergies and intolerances than you can count on one hand. I'm that person that BYO snacks to parties. I'm also that person who spent thousands of dollars trying to get to the bottom of my symptoms. From running my own social media agency, Pep Creative, and skincare brand, Yours Only, I know a thing or two about navigating a very busy schedule with ongoing health issues. Join me as I give you my tips, interview your fave biz women and health specialists to help you solve and manage your autoimmune conditions or allergies. Want to hear more about my story? Head to yoursonly.co forward slash about where you can also pick up some very allergy friendly products. Hello and happy Friday. It feels so good to be releasing podcasts on Fridays now because I feel like my weeks are not as rushed because Monday, Tuesdays are just the busiest days for me. So I'm always scrambling. So I feel a little bit less stressed after my hectic couple of weeks, which I kind of spoke about in the last week's episode. In terms of things to update you on this week, I have actually been introducing quite a bit of salicylates into my diet, which has been divine. But my integrated GP mentioned that I should really be avoiding any foods that are high in histamines because my body won't really accept it. And that was kind of based off my results and just how histamine my body is and how much I react to everything. I am still on quite a lot of drugs that are making me extremely tired and I've just also started to take some binders. So basically what they do is they grab onto the mold in my system and then basically pass it through. But because I've probably had mold in my system for quite a long time, it's going to be a bit of a long process. And apparently sometimes it can make you have cold and flu symptoms because it makes your body go through quite a lot, which is not ideal in a pandemic. Anywho, as you know, we released the Yours Only EMAG last week called Simply Dramatic, which the first section talks all about winter eating. So I obviously bought on my dietitian, Chloe McLeod, to talk all about her wisdom when it comes to food. So she is an accredited and practicing dietitian and she is based out of Sydney. And I interviewed her for the podcast in August last year where she spoke a lot about food chemicals, which are salicylates and amines, which if you go back and listen, she actually was the one that helped me work out that I did have an intolerance to these uh, food chemicals and kind of inspired me to start yours only as a brand because I just couldn't really find anything out there that kind of catered to our needs. So it would be worth going back and having a little bit of a listen if you kind of are hearing us talk about these food chemicals and are a bit confused about what they are. The audio on that one isn't the best, but it's still worth a listen. So if you feel like you are listening to this podcast and you need more help with your winter eating or just in terms of feeling better if you're going through a lot of symptoms, it would be really worth speaking to a dietitian like Chloe. She is on mat leave at the minute, but she has a whole team of people in Sydney and they can basically meet you in person or over Zoom and they are called the Health Performance Collective. But firstly, go to her Instagram and find out all about winter eating and then check out the EMAG. Enjoy the app. Hi, Chloe. Welcome back to Allergy Proof. How are you? I'm really well, Ash. Thanks so much for having me back. I know. Well, we did have you on the podcast last August, which was a long time ago. 
So it would be good to hear a little bit of an update from you. I know you've had a little little girl called Grace. Yeah, um, there's, there's been a bit happening since August, um, but probably the, the biggest change is that. So um, Grace is um, six weeks old and um, she's she's doing pretty well, you know, having an older sister in daycare as we were just chatting about before we started recording um, is making life a little bit more challenging for her, just all that exposure to bugs and things that Lily didn't get, but she's she's doing really well. Such an adjustment going from one to two, but, you know, you just got to roll with it. <laughs> What's the main thing from going from one to two? Now we're running around after a toddler on newborn sleep. So, um, yeah. yeah, like running around after a toddler is draining enough, let alone when you're up multiple times in the night. But, um, you know, it's only for a short period, so it'll be all right. And how have you found your health around all this like obviously you've had little grace around the start of winter have you found that you are being more wary of stuff that's happening yes so I think um like to sort of go back to to what I mentioned with the daycare side of things I think you know anyone who's got a child in daycare knows what the daycare bugs can be like and it's a bit relentless so yeah trying to keep the family as healthy as possible and I think one of the fortunate things is that with breastfeeding, um, which is what I'm doing with Grace, that really helps with supporting her immune system because she's getting parts of my immune system and immunity through the breast milk. So it helps her to recover more quickly from any little coughs and colds that she might get. But yeah, just being wary of everyone and trying not to hang out with people if they've they're sick and all that sort of stuff but um, I feel like that's a year-round thing. It just happens more often in, um, in winter. So. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about your involvement with the EMAG, which I'm excited about. It just launched. <laughs> so exciting. So exciting. <laughs> it's called Simply Dramatic for people who haven't heard about it. And I had to just get you onto it to talk all about winter eat. I mean, you've been my dietitian before and I feel like you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to that. So it'd be good to even just hear about what you think you need to be wary of when it comes to the colder months, especially when it comes to food. Yeah, so I think that there's a couple of key things to be mindful of. Um, number one, one, when it gets cold, we often start to crave more of those sort of comfort foods, which might be higher in fat, higher in salt, higher in sugar than what we might be eating at other times of the year. And on top of that, there's also the the added, I guess, stress on our immune systems as we are trying to fight off all of those more winter type bugs of the, the colds and flus. On top of that, there's also um, research that shows that um, the the weather can actually impact our hormones on a physiological level as well. And what I mean by that is that the hormones that make us feel more hungry um, and more full are changed. So we end up being more hungry than we usually would be through those winter months, which I think is just such a fascinating thing. And you know, a part of that comes back to like from an evolutionary perspective, you know, in the past, it's like, you know, you need to eat a bit more in winter, have that little bit more body fat to help to keep you warm. That obviously doesn't mm-hmm. matter at the moment. Yeah, I feel like I'm really hungry, but I think that's just me all the time, <laughs> but especially when it's cold. Yeah, I think like, you know, when, when it is cold, you do feel that little bit more hungry. And as well, when, you know, maybe if you're like fighting off a cold or fighting off some other illness, again, sometimes you can feel that bit more hungry. And a part of that is, again, to do with those hormones. Interesting. You learn something new every day. And then so when it comes to the types of food that we should incorporate, I know obviously foods depend on the season. What about the winter foods that we should try and incorporate? 
So I think it's about choosing um, seasonal produce as much as possible. So more of those sort of wintry type vegetables, they're often more of your root veggies, still having your leafy greens, those sorts of things, and um, really filling up on on more of those. So utilising things like soups and stews and casseroles with that really significant plant base. So maybe it's making up a curry with some lentils and some some different other vegetables that you put in there and then you can put some herbs and spices in as well which again can have really wonderful immune supporting properties um volume eating is something that i love to talk about for the winter months because you are that bit more hungry so um if you think about say a soup and you're it's say it's a vegetable soup that's got some some legumes of some sort in there it's actually not going to be super high in calories but from a volume perspective you can eat quite a lot of that without going over your individual calorie needs. So it can be a really um, helpful way to help you to manage your weight whilst also getting all of the different nutrient-rich foods in that your body requires over those months. Amazing. I'm literally having soup every day. I'm so into soup at the minute. It's just so hearty. Ditto. It's just, it's so hearty. And on these cold, cold days, I'm looking out the window and it's like a really sunny day here in Sydney, but it's still a bit chilly and it's just, it's just such a nice winter thing to have, I think. It is, isn't it? I love it. And then so why do you think we should be changing our diet in winter? I know you said obviously because you're more hungry, but are there any other ways that you think we should in the sense of like overall well-being? Yeah, well, so I think there's a couple of things to be mindful of there. Number one is seasonality. So um, when foods are in season, so and this is particularly looking more at your fruits and veggies, when they're in season, they're going to be easier to access. That means that their price point's actually going to be a bit lower And they're probably also going to suit the types of meals that you're wanting to make for your winter dishes a little bit more as well. So I think that's a a quite important role or factor to to be mindful of. As an example, something like your, say like your citrus fruits, so say like tangelos and mandarines, they're all in season at the moment. They're really great sources of vitamin C, which we know is really helpful when it comes to helping with supporting our immune system. So having more of these on hand, um, if there's something that you tolerate, is is an important thing to do. Rather than going and choosing fruits which maybe aren't in season, so they're likely going to be maybe imported or come from cold storage, which can then have an impact on all sorts of other things. So I think choosing choosing these foods which are in season is really helpful but for that exact reason. So this isn't a question that I've put in there, but this could be a dumb question. If food isn't in season and you're eating it, is the nutrient value different? Um, No such thing as a dumb question. So um, (laughs) thanks. it's not that it's necessarily different. There's a couple of things. So say, for example, you're like, I'd really like some mangoes. And we know Mm -hmm. that in winter, they're not in season here in Australia. And so to try to get a mango, it means that it will have been in cold storage. So I don't know the exact impact that it would have on the nutrient quality of the of the fruit but as an example I know um, apples are a fruit which do often get put into cold storage to then make them more easy to access year-round but the the taste profile isn't as nice they're not as fresh or as crisp I'm not sure if a mango would go in cold storage by the way Um, but it's just thinking about things which are in season and which aren't now so I feel like because of that impact on the flavor that's actually probably having an impact on some of the different polyphenols and, and things which are found in those fruits and vegetables. The other thing is that they're likely being 
if they're not coming from cold storage, they may be being imported from other places. So as an example, I saw asparagus that had been imported from Mexico in my local shop the other day. And so, you know, that's obviously having a pretty big impact on the environment because it's being flown halfway around the world. And, you know, there's there's all the different things that come along with that. So I think, you know, seasonal produce that's locally produced as much as possible is going to have the the best health impact, but also the min, the smallest environmental impact as well, which which we know is an important thing to take into account as well. Yeah, very useful. Yeah. So if you had to pick three key foods to incorporate into our diet each week, what would they be specifically for winter? Specifically for winter. So I saw this question in the list. I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know how I can um, narrow it down to three, um, but I think. Extra virgin olive oil is one that I, I really love recommending and that's that's because if you look at the overall nutrient profile of extra virgin olive oil, it's really rich in um, different um, bioactive compounds which we know are really helpful for supporting our immune system, for helping to positively influence our gut microbiome. So there's some really interesting research about how some of the, the compounds which are found in the extra virgin olive oil actually work with our short-chain fatty acids, which are compounds which are produced by the healthy bacteria in our gut to help with reducing inflammation, to help with reducing risk of a number of different chronic health conditions like cardiovascular disease to other um, other gut conditions as well. So that's a really big reason. And it's also something which you can use in sort of almost any dish. So whether you're making up one of your hearty, hearty soups, whether it's one of those beautiful, um, beautiful curries or casseroles, or even if you're doing some like some baking or something like that, it can be easily incorporated. And and I know, yes, it is a food that comes in on the high category from a salicylate perspective. So I know that maybe for a lot of listeners, they're going, yeah, but olive, extra virgin olive, olive oil is not so great for me. It's one of those foods which I really strongly encourage people to to find a, a tolerance level of where they can regularly happily include it because there's so many great health benefits to including it that you don't get from other oils so like you're not going to get those same health benefits from like a a light olive oil or from a rice bran oil or a canola oil or anything like that so that is is certainly one of them then I would have to be choosing I'm going to say legumes as an umbrella term but if I had to choose one I'd probably go either chickpeas or black beans and that's because both of those are have got more iron in them than than some of the other legumes do. Now, legumes they're they're one of those foods which um, I, I'm not a fan of the term superfood, as you know. But if I had to had to give that label to to any food, the legumes would certainly come in with that. And this is because they're a sort really great source of plant based protein. They're a really great source of low GI carbohydrates. So it means it's going to digest really slowly. The type of fiber that they contain helps to feed those healthy bacteria that are in your microbiome. And again, they're, they're one of those foods that I think a lot of people can feel a little bit afraid of because, particularly if they're not regularly a part of your diet, they can really trigger some pretty nasty gut symptoms. But like with any allergy or, or not allergy, sorry, like with any intolerance, it is about working out what your individual tolerance level is. And particularly with legumes, most of the time, over time, you'll be able to improve your tolerance level through small amounts sometimes. And when I say small amounts, it might be like, you know, a teaspoon in a main meal and starting out with that and slowly over time working it up to a more appropriate serving size to to be 
basing your meal around. So both the the black beans and the chickpeas, I think, work really well for that. And particularly, again, they work really nicely in so many different winter dishes, you know, whether you're making up a hummus, whether you're making a, a like a roast vegetable winter salad with some chickpeas in it, whether you're making up more of like a, a Mexican type dish with the black beans, making maybe it's like a black bean casserole or something like that. There's there's so many different things that you can do with both of those. So I think from a, a versatility perspective, they um they work really nicely. And then um probably the last one I'm gonna say would be your your dark leafy greens. So again, just nutrient density. These guys are, are super important to include. You can choose dark leafy greens sort of across the spectrum with different salicylate levels, which I know is an important thing to be mindful of for you. So it's about finding which ones work best for you. And then, you know, maybe it's having, for example, some silver beet is something maybe you don't have so often because it's a higher salicylate vegetable and having something like bok choy is a lot lower in salicylate so it's about finding the balance of what what works for your individual tolerance level but also not necessarily never having things to help with getting more of that variety in your diet and part of the reason why I'm like not being like it has to be this food this food and this food is variety is the 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 gold star when it comes to improving our overall gut health and what we know is that if your diet is and this is something I think we spoke about quite a bit on the the last episode we did and is if your diet is too restricted long term that can have some quite negative health outcomes so it's about unrestricting as much as you individually can and that that can often take time but by having that bigger amount of variety in your diet this really helps with increasing the the health of your microbiome, um, reducing the sensitivity level from an intolerance perspective, um, if we're looking more at a FODMAP side of things by that regular introduction too. So a number of things to be aware of there and being mind, like I guess being mindful of your individual tolerance level whilst also at the same time trying to get as much variety in as you can across the course of a week. Yeah, and I think that's really important because like obviously I've learned a lot about this along the way, but I guess it's not just eating the same thing every day that you tolerate. It's maybe eating some things that are a little bit higher than having a break and then incorporating something else that's also a bit higher. So it's yeah. kind of like the variety rather than the same all the time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean, it might be that like an, a strategy that I know works really well for a lot of people is that breakfast and lunch and snacks, maybe they're pretty similar most days and they're much lower chemical most days in the week because that's where your sensitivity level lies but then maybe there's that then provides that room for a bit more flexibility in that evening meal so that maybe there is some of that silver beet or there is some of the broccoli or whatever it might be whilst at the same time staying within your tolerance level so sort of getting the best of both worlds without too much effort I suppose. For people who didn't listen to Chloe's last episode she spoke a lot about food chemicals, which are the salicylates and amines. So yeah. I guess it would be better for them to go back and listen to that to kind of understand what she means by chemicals because it's not necessarily chemicals, it's food chemicals. Yes, and and I think that's a really important thing to be mindful of because, you know, we hear a lot about, oh, chemicals are bad, chemicals are bad. And it's like, well, everything that we eat is full of chemicals and they're not necessarily bad for us. They're just, it's just what things are made from um, and even these these food chemicals that that we've been mentioning the salicylates and amines they're not bad like for for most people they're not a problem it's just for for around two percent of the population they are quite sensitive to them and again it's not about never having them it's about finding your individual 
tolerance level of what's going to work. Yeah, exactly. That kind of brings me to my next question. So a lot of people do have um, intolerances and they kind of find it hard to find the right fruits and veggies for their system to tolerate. So what kind of advice would you have for them around this time? Yeah, so my advice would be start small. So know which fruits and veggies you do tolerate really well and have those be making up the majority of your intake. But then, and when I say start small, I mean start small with reintroduction of other things. So maybe it's that you really miss eating, you know, the tangelos and mandarins that I mentioned before. So maybe it's trying to have like a couple of bits of mandarin, you know, one Sunday afternoon, see how that goes. Maybe you then leave it for a few days and then maybe you try a couple more bits and, you know, so you're not wasting it, maybe you're sharing it with someone. So that you're just getting those little bits being included um, of different things. So maybe it's, you know, the mandarin some days, the tangelo some days, maybe it's a, an orange another day, but the majority of your fruit that you're eating is more of your pears and you're just ripe bananas. So it's just trying little bits and pieces of things at a time. And then if you're like, you know what, I'm tolerating those couple of bits of mandarin really well, I'm going to try having a half a one. Tolerate that really well. Maybe you actually can tolerate a whole one every few days or something which comes in at that high or very high salicylate level every few days is actually not a problem for you. And if that's the case, that's fantastic because that's going to make it that bit easier. But being restrictive for too long, in some instances, it may increase sensitivity, but there's also the anxiety piece that comes up around it as well. It's like, oh, I haven't eaten this in so long. I'm really worried about having it. And we know with that Mm -hmm. gut-brain connection, that can actually be really, really powerful. And if we're looking at a different type of intolerance, more like like from the IBS FODMAP side of things, we know that for quite a large proportion of people with IBS, there is that quite significant psychological component in particularly with that condition. And sometimes it's not actually the foods that triggering symptoms, it's more what's going on from a stress and anxiety perspective as well. And and that links in with the food chemical side of things as well to a degree too. Yeah, agreed. And I don't think I've told you this, but um, I did the Start Small with Passion Fruit and yeah. I was doing it like every third day and now I have it every day. Amazing. Oh, how good. Yeah. So yeah. I have Passion Fruit with my breakfast every morning, which I love. Such a good fruit. I feel like it's It's one of those underrated ones that sort of flies under the radar and has forgotten about a bit as well. Agreed. And then when it comes to ingredients and herbs and spices, what do you think are the best ones that can support the immune system in winter? Yeah, so I think that there's incorporating a variety of different ones is really important, but specifically from an immune side of things. Garlic is really great. So garlic has a compound in it called allicin. When you are crushing your garlic as well, just a little tip, leave it for 10 minutes. The same goes with onion as well. Leave it for 10 minutes after you've crushed it or cut it up because it helps the it helps a chemical reaction occur, which helps the allicin end up being more available for our bodies. So that would be... That's a good tip. Yeah. So that would be um, one of the, the main ones that I love to recommend from an immune support side of things. Turmeric's another really great one. So it's got a compound in it called curcumin, which has got um, really strong anti-inflammatory properties. If you pair the turmeric with some black pepper and some extra virgin olive oil as well, that increases your body's ability to absorb it because it's fat soluble so the olive oil and the the pepper contains another compound which helps the absorption of that curcumin as well so it's funny how different things that actually go together in cooking because you'd often you know if you're cooking you'd often probably put turmeric and pepper and olive oil in the dish all together and that actually not just works from a flavor perspective it also works from a nutritional perspective as well which I think is pretty cool. 
That's cool. So for people who are low FODMAP and then they use garlic-infused olive oil, does that provide the same amount of nutrients? No, it's not going to be the same, unfortunately. So it's still going to be really helpful because of mm-hmm. the of the nutrition profile of the garlic-infused extra virgin olive oil, but um, it's not quite the same as having that freshly crushed garlic. So, yeah. um, But again, yeah. um, from a FODMAP perspective, maybe it's not that you put a whole clove of garlic in the dish. Maybe it's just getting the tiniest little bit and putting that into start and building that up over time because it's um, it's not an allergy, it's, it is an intolerance. So there will be a, a point at which you can tolerate that garlic. It's about working out where that is for you and regularly having small amounts of it and building that up over time, it will help to improve your sensitivity to it. And so with your section in the emag you included a lot of information about winter eating and then you also included a shopping list, which I loved because I kind of feel like everyone wants to know what they should buy, but they don't really know what it is. And then from there, we got a lovely recipe developer to create some recipes from your winter list. Yes. So I would love to hear which were your fave recipes from the EMAG. Yeah, so there was a beautiful lentil curry in there, which um, I think just looks looks and tastes absolutely beautiful. And um, there was also a basil pesto in there as well. With the Just the, the taste of that's just lovely. So she did really well with that. Yeah, she did a few recipes for me when I first went on the biphasic diet, which really helped. So I just wanted to say thanks again for being part of the EMAG and for coming on again. You are the busiest mum ever and you still took the time out to chat to me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Always love chatting with you, Ash. And um, thank you for having me be a part of the EMAG. When when you approached me, I was like, that's such a great idea. And um, I think, you know, it looks absolutely fantastic and all the hard work's paid off. So yeah, I, I feel like it's there's so much value that's in there. Um, I can't wait to to see what everyone thinks of it. Yeah, me too. Well, so to finish off, if anyone wants to follow you, where can they find you? So to find me, um, place I probably am most at the most of the time at the moment is Insta. So Chloe underscore McLeod underscore dietitian. Um, my or my businesses account is health underscore performance underscore collective or the FODMAP challenge. And yeah, then otherwise there's the corresponding websites and things there as well. Amazing. Well, thank you again and I'll speak to you soon. Lovely. Thanks so much, Ash. Thanks for listening to this episode of Allergy Proof. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this podcast, please send this episode their way. I'm here to help women thrive in life with all of their health issues because I am living proof. Make sure you hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can listen to our latest apps which go live weekly. This is a totally independent podcast, so I really do rely on subscribes, reviews, and word of mouth to spread the word. You can also find some more helpful tips on Instagram at yoursonlyco and more from me, your host, at Ashley Templar, spelt A-S-H-L-I. Catch you next time.